Um, if this is your first time with us, my name is Andrew. I'm the preaching pastor for Anchor Church. We will be in Psalms 1 and 2 this week. If you don't have a Bible, we have some over on the table over there. Feel free to grab one. Now let me pray for us and we'll dig in. King Jesus, you are present with us by the power of the Holy Spirit, not because of anything we've done, but everything you've done. So we don't come to people trying to figure out how to fix our lives. We come today as people trying to take refuge in you. You are such a good God. Help us to hear your word. It's just the truth of your love today and of your beauty, King Jesus. God, we love you so much, and we pray these things in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, the question we're going to be looking at, and is really the question of the book of Psalms. Um, if you're not familiar with Psalms, it's kind of smack dab in the middle of your Bible. Uh, we'll be writing one. Uh, the, the thing about Psalms, if you've ever read it before, you might feel like it's just a bunch of uh, random songs put together. Uh, but what I think is actually happening here, they're all put together on purpose, and they're all put together with a reason. And the reason is to answer the question, what's the point of life? Um, I think it's important to understand that, that we as Christians get to ask that question. Me as a pastor, I get to ask that question. The point of my job as a Christian pastor is not to come to you and pretend like I've got my whole life and everything figured out. My com- my point, the point of my life and the other elders in our church is to live lives dependent on King Jesus and the power of His Holy Spirit. That's our job. And so it's fair for us to go to God and ask Him what the point of life is. And if you don't know Jesus, this might be the reason you're here. You might be asking this very question, what is the point of life? Why am I even here? This is, the, this is the actual question uh, that Psalms is going to get after, and I think we have to be very careful at this point in time. As Christians, we have a tendency to sort of take these uh, 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 truths that have such a deep profundity, and we just turn them into like a bumper sticker or a catchphrase, and then we leave them unpacked. And, 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 and we do this all the time, right? Uh, uh, we do this across the board. We, we find little Bible phrases and we take them out of context. Or, or you take something like, um, you know, the classic Westminster Confession of Faith. What's the, what's the point of life? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Well, yeah, but if that just hangs out in space and you don't know what it even means to glorify God, what it means to enjoy Him, or what the point of your life is, what good is a statement like that if we're not actually embodying and incarnating the profound truth? That the point of our life is to see the King in His glory and His love and His grace and His mercy and to breathe in and out the reality of King Jesus, God who became a man who revealed Himself to us to save us from ourselves. That we could live in relationship with Him and live our whole lives seeing His beauty and enjoying Him more and more and more. Right? That's what the the phrase is trying to get our hearts at. But if we let it just be a t-shirt or a bumper sticker, we miss what what's there. Uh, More importantly, Psalms is going to tell us that the point of life is Jesus. If you've been with Anchor Church for any point of time, period of time, this isn't going to be a surprise for you that I'm going to say that this book is going to say the point of life is Jesus. In fact, Jesus in Luke 24 is going to say the whole point of this whole book is Jesus. And so here we go. And as we look at this, what we need to see, the point that this book is trying to get us at, Psalms, is the reality that God is the King of everything. And the way to live is to live in relationship with Him through Jesus. 
So let's go ahead and start in verse 1. We'll be in 1 and 2 today. Uh, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Uh, Let's just start with the first word. Uh, We'll see how we do. We'll get into lunch, but we're just going to take that first word apart, blessed. Um, Why is this one important? Well, everybody uses it, right? Everybody uses it. Uh, Wiccan folk use it. Uh, New Age folk use it. Uh, Everybody, everywhere uses it. And we all mean something different. And in fact, if we're not careful as Christians, uh, we can just use that word and we just throw it around, right? Um, I was blessed with a big old house. I was blessed with uh, a nice sunny day. I was blessed with, and we just fill it in, and, and it sort of can, can be reduced to just sort of material blessing. It, it can sort of be reduced um, to uh, things went well today. I was blessed because things went well today. Well, does that mean for the believer even, who things didn't go well today, does that mean they're not blessed? It doesn't. It doesn't, but we have to catch our language. Yeah, I'm graced. Uh, I, on uh, Monday, me and Craig got to have uh, coffee with a guy who plants churches in the Congo. They meet in the evening because they can't afford roofs on their churches and it's too hot to meet in the morning, right? God has graced us with a roof. It's 11 and it's not too hot and we live in Washington so it's never really actually too hot, <laughs> right? We've been graced. Don't forget, this is a gift. We meet in a boys and girls club and it's a gift that we even get to be here and it's a gift that we're here together, But this word blessed, when God's getting at this word blessed and so on, blessed is the man, blessed is the one who's in relationship with God. The way that we're blessed is through a relationship with God. Blessed is the one who knows God. Um, Because all of a sudden, if we we just think that this is just material blessing, uh, we're going to read this to try and get out of it. How can I get stuff out of life by listening to Jesus? Is the point of listening to Jesus to get stuff out of life? No. The point of listening to Jesus is to get Jesus, by the way. Right? Blessed is the man. This is about the relationship we have with God. Um, This is not about our circumstances, but the relationship we have with God through Jesus and His cross. If you even just look at the the overall work of Psalms, there's five books. And in these five books, they're going to reiterate a couple of things over and over again. There's a Messiah. There's one who's going to come. And he's going to restore a people and he's going to restore the world. His name's Jesus. It's looking forward to Jesus. And, and throughout the whole thing, uh, a lot of it's being put together and understood by people who are actually living in exile, away from the land they thought they were supposed to have. They were sp- thought they were supposed to have a king. They don't have one of those. They thought they were supposed to have a temple and a place to worship God. They don't have one of those. And two things, two drumbeats that get beat again and again and again that tie the whole book together is that God is the king of everything and we need to have both faith and hope in that reality. We have hope that He's going to come and He's going to put our lives and He's going to put this world back the way it's supposed to be. That's, that's the end of the story. The new heavens, the new earth, the redo. Uh, no more tears. Jesus is going to wipe every tear from every eye. Uh, that Jesus is going to put creation back the way it's supposed to be. No sickness, no dying. This is why He does the miracles. Could have done anything, right? Could have done anything. He's got power. He heals the sick. He casts out demons. He feeds the hungry. Right? 
It's restorative work. He's restoring this creation. And he restores people by forgiving them of their sin and making them in right relationship with God because he's the king and he can do that. So, hope and faith. Hope that he's going to do that. And faith that when I drive from my house on 99 and it doesn't look like Jesus is the king of everything, Faith in the times when suffering is uh, close at hand. When things feel like they're falling apart. Faith that even when it doesn't look like Jesus is the King, He still is. That's what Psalms is after. That's what Psalms is trying to show us. And and my hope is that that you listen to that message. Because the message that, yeah, God will bless you if you... He'll prosper you. are going to talk about prospering. He'll prosper your ways if you do what He tells you. So He'll give you a house and a nice car and good health and this and that. That's, that's not going to help you on the dark night. That's not going to help you when things are falling apart. It's Jesus is there. He's with you. He's present and He's still the King. Blessed. Blessed is the man who's in relationship with Jesus. The greatest blessing we have as Christians is Jesus. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight, his delight is in the law. Now this word here, I I know I hit this one last week, but I don't think we can actually hit this enough. We use the ESV as a church. It's a very good word-for-word translation. There are other good word-for-word Bibles. You don't have to use this one. You can use the NASB. That's a very good one. There's others that are great. Uh, But this word often gets translated law, but this is the word Torah. This word has a wide range. It's the teaching of God. It's the instruction of God. It's the testimony of God. It's the the ways of God. It's more than just the things we do and don't do. It's what we know about God and what He's revealed to us. The book, the first five books of the Bible are called the Torah. What does it start with? Does it start with a rule? Does it start with the Ten Commandments? No. It starts with the reality that God made everything out of nothing. It starts with God made people to be in relationship with Him. Uh, It starts with the story of God, even when human beings break everything, making a promise to come and fix everything. That's how it starts. It's not just the to do and don't do. The Torah is, yes, there is that, but it's way, way more than that. And so here we have this thing. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on the Torah of the Lord, and on his Torah, on his teaching, he meditates day and night. He's setting us up with two, two systems, two ways to live. One who's living with God, and one who's living opposed to God. Uh, And this is going to be a constant thing that's reiterated uh, throughout the Psalms. And uh, there's a way that the New Testament will put put it for us that I think is really helpful. There's the kingdom of the world, and there's the kingdom of God. There's no in-betweenies. Kingdom of the world and kingdom of God. And the thing about the kingdom of the world, it's, it's that world that we look at and we say, wow... Yeah, it doesn't feel like Jesus is the king of this thing. It's the, it's the survival of the fittest. It's the human beings are numbers and not names. It's the human beings are oppressed by world system. It's the rich get rich and the, 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 the poor get poor. It's, it's the, 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 the evil live to be old nasty men and the good die young. It's pretty much, no, I won't say it. I was going to go with the Bon Jovi reference, then I stopped myself. <laughs> but it is the very problem that many Bon Jovi songs are pointing out, by the way. That there are two ways to live. There's the kingdom of God and there's the kingdom of the world and it just doesn't feel right out here. 
It doesn't, there's something deep in our soul that knows this is not the way it's supposed to be. And I think there's something deep in our soul that knows this isn't how I'm supposed to live either. This world's broken and so am I. And then there's the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, things are different. The kingdom of God freaks us out because they're so different. We, Pastor Joe read that passage. Seek first the kingdom. Don't, don't worry about the clothes you're going to put on. Don't, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Who in Seattle is not anxious about tomorrow? Who in Seattle is not concerned about the things they're going to wear tomorrow? How the, how the, I mean, so many of us are just even living paycheck to paycheck. Like, what's going to happen? He says, yeah, I got it. I'm the king of everything. Seek first the kingdom. And, and the thing we can't ever divorce from that is when we're seeking the kingdom, we're seeking the king. We're seeking Jesus. We're seeking his covering and his cross and his power and his comfort and his voice and his word. We're seeking the king. We're seeking King Jesus. The kingdom freaks us out because it's not the way this kingdom is. It's an, it's an inside-out kingdom. Right? Everything about our lives are about changing the externals. If I can just change the external, it'll make the internal better. But it's inside out. God changes us from the inside out. And it's upside down. Mark 10, 43 through 45. The paraphrase. Hey, the kingdom of the world, paraphrase, mind you, kingdom of the world does things in a worldly way. It's survival of the fittest. It's climb the corporate ladder. It's you're only you only count if you have the higher position or the bigger bank account or the nicer house. That's what counts in the world. And Jesus says, it is not going to be this way with you. This is not how it's to be with my people. And he says, if you want to, if you want to lead, you got to serve. It it's, it takes the the uh, corporate how do I, there we go the corporate org chart ladder and actually flips it around. You want to lead, you take the cuts in line for the feet washing jobs. And why does Jesus say to do this? Son of man, the name he always take, he always says it about himself. Taking this whole picture out of the Old Testament, fulfilling, I'm the one who's coming to fulfill the whole Old Testament. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so we're living in a different way, in a different kingdom. Two ways to live God's ways or the world's ways. But his delight is in the Torah of the Lord, and on his Torah he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. This is what he's saying. Is this is what it is to live in the kingdom. He is like a tree that is planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and, uh, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Let's talk about the word prospers. When we read prospers, we think prosperity. We live in America. And what we do with this is we say, okay, so if I do what God says, then he will give me what I want. Is that what it just said? I don't think so. We need to rethink when we think words like prosper. Okay? Sorry. Luke 12, 18. Luke, uh, Luke 12, 18. I'll try and hold as still as I can, which is just impossible. <laughs> try again, Anchor Church. What does Jesus think about prosperity? Luke 12, 18, he tells a parable. It's a story. How do you know it's a parable? It always starts with something. This is the equivalent of our once upon a time. There was once a man. 
That's a parable. It's a story. And in the story, it says, there was a man who had a lot of stuff. He had a lot of grain. And it went into his barn. And he said, I'm going to tear down this little barn. I'm going to build a bigger barn. And I'm just going to keep all my stuff in that barn. And when I keep all that stuff in the barn, I'm just going to rule the world and it's going to be awesome. I'm going to, I'm going to have whatever I need. I'm just going to have prosperity. I'm not going to care about anybody else. I'm just going to have my barn. And then God does something that doesn't happen often, but God just straight up calls him a fool. Fool? That's my favorite part. Fool? Tonight your life is required of you. You live your life with worldly prosperity in mind. And today's the day you're going to die and someone else is going to get all your stuff. Which is pretty much the theme of Ecclesiastes. You're going to die and someone else is going to get all your stuff. Uh, but we see this in the wisdom literature. We do weird stuff as Christians with the literature, wisdom literature. These are books like Job, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, Psalms. And what we do is we look for uh, methods and strategies for like successful living. I'm going to go to Proverbs and I'm going to figure out how to be the best CEO I can possibly be. I'm going to go there and I'm going to figure out how I can make the most money and I'm going to use these texts to say that this is what it is to be godly. It's to climb the corporate ladder, to rule the city, to get money, and to be shrewd in business. Is that the kingdom? That's the world's sense of prospering. You have a big old bank account with lots of money. And I'm not saying that you're in sin if you have that. I'm just saying that that's not the point of life. Knowing King Jesus is the point of life. Uh, famous quote from a famous, famous missionary, and you've probably heard it, so there it is. If you haven't, here you go. Uh, Jim Elliot, who died on the mission field, said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. If we take the Bible and reinterpret it, a, a pot prospering, how can I just have a big heap of created things and make that the point of my life? We actually miss the whole point. To prosper, then, is to prosper in every situation. It's to be this... Uh, 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 this, this planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and it does not wither. This is like a story that Jesus once told. There was a guy who had a house that he built on the sand. And the wind came and the flood came and that house fell down. There was another guy who built his house on the rock. And the wind came and the flood came and the house stood. The difference between the two men, one guy built his life on the Torah of the world, the teaching of the world. The other guy built his life on Jesus. What's, what freaks us out about this? The same thing that should freak you out about the book of Job. What's the difference between the two houses? Do they both get wind? Yes, sir, they do. Do they both get floods? Yes, sir, they do. What's the difference? Jesus is the difference. If we reduce blessing and prosperity down to these sort of American dreamish kind of things, we'll find ourselves asking the same questions that the Pharisees asked of Jesus. It may have been scribes in this story, so please forgive me. Hey, Jesus, there's a guy who's blind. Is it his sin or his parents' sin that made him blind? Neither. He lives in a broken world. This is for the glory of God, and he heals him. Psalm 1 is not to try and tell us how to prosper and to have a big bank account. Psalm 1 is to tell us how to live in a broken world, and that's to live knowing that Jesus is the King. This is not so. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff in the wind that drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Oh, pardon me. Verse 4. Yeah, we'll keep going. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Uh, this is a reference most likely to... Um, the, all the dudes 
in the city who are good dudes or supposedly good dudes got to sit in the front and they got to be standing in the judgment. That means they're an actual place in the city for the guys who are respected folk in the city. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And this is where we have to stop and say, really? Really? Isn't it the Bon Jovi problem? The good die young and the rich get richer and the nasty rich old guys get nastier and richer and older? This is look, looking forward to what's going to happen here as we look into Psalm 2. This is looking forward to what Jesus has started and is going to complete at his return. Chapter, uh, Psalm 2, verse 1. Why do the nations rage? And if you're in the ESV, you're going to see a little three probably. Do you have a three in your Bible? When you see one of those numbers, look down. Uh, because it'll say this. Or nations noisily assemble. They're making a holler. They're making a noise. They're clattering. They're chammering. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves uh, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed saying. Let's, let's address a couple of things here. Uh, on the top here, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? It seems that the Bon Jovi problem happens but that God is actually going to settle that particular score. We might count it slow. Peter's going to be really good to point that out. We think he's slow. He's not slow. He's working it out in his time. The kings of the earth set themselves in ruler and take counsel against the Lord and against His anointed. So this is systematic uh, opposition. This is systematic opposition. This is, this is out of the, the individual and into kings and companies and nations with systematic opposition to the kingdom of God. This is people buying into um, uh, uh, the rat race and uh, of the objectification of human beings, uh, whether that's in the factory or on the internet or whatever it might be, that human beings are just a means to an end to get whatever we want out of it. Uh, it's, it's the love of money, the love of power, and it goes on and on. And these things are in exact opposition to the Lord and against His capital A anointed Messiah, Jesus. You could reinterpret that and just say it. Um, the kings of this earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel together against God the Father and against His Son. And you'll see why in just a second. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. They're not interested in living in His kingdom. They want to live in their own kingdom. He who sits in the heavens laughs because he knows it doesn't really work that way. The Lord holds them in derision. Then He will speak to them in His wrath uh, and terrifying in His fury saying, as for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Uh, we as Seattleites don't really like the word wrath. Um, and there's some good reasons for that, but we've got to address that. Wrath is simply the actionizing of God's justice in the world. And even as we saw with that word prosper, don't confuse Hey, that guy has the biggest house and he's the biggest jerk. He has a house uh, 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 compared to the size of jerk he is. Why did God bless him? His love is money. His idol is money. Rarely in America do we consider that that might actually be the business end of God's justice. You want to love money? You want to love possessions? Take them. You want to, you want to worship that? Have it. We rarely would ever... I mean, 
I have, I have yet to hear uh, in all the church planter and pastor conferences I've ever been to, I've never heard the guy who says, I got this, this whole write-up in the newspaper about our church this week. And they said how rad it was. And then open the Bible and it says, what do you when they speak well of you? And have them say, are we doing what we're supposed to do as kingdom people? Can you guys check in on this? Everyone just celebrates and says, yeah, we're prospering. It must be good. We never stop and ask the question, what does God think about it? keep going. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ever heard that one before? Quoted in Hebrews 1, Hebrews 5, Acts 13, about Jesus. One of the things, one of the drums the New Testament authors beat about David, who wrote many of the Psalms, is that these were prophetic. These were pointing forward to this thing that God was going to do. I will tell of the decree the Lord said. Today you are my son. Today I or, the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. This is looking forward to the restoration of all things. So looking forward to Revelation 21 when Jesus is going to put everything back the way it's supposed to be. He's going to wipe every tear from every eye. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them with the pieces like a potter's vessel. That's what's going to happen to those who continue to push, push against the kingdom of God. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear in the awe of the power of the glory of the creator of everything. Least he be angry and you perish in the way. Uh, we can tend to like the idea of God just being cool with everybody all the time. And, and that's kind of how we roll. And so God's just cool with everybody. Until you get to somebody's personal, emotional, uh, a place where they've been made a victim somehow or something. And, and, and that's not a great comfort that God's just cool with everything all the time. God's actually going to settle the score. That Jesus Christ, the only innocent man who ever lived, is in fact going to come and clear his name. The only innocent man who ever lived. He put on the cross. Kiss the son, lest he be angry with you and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. The thing that we miss about Jesus sometime is that Jesus came to earth to pay the price for all the sins of all the world to reconcile all who would come to him. All of us, if we would say, I'm, I'm done with my, my worldly ways. I'm done with my oppression. I'm done with taking the good stuff I do and make that the point of my life and the justification of my life. I'm done and I want you. I'm going to take refuge in you, Jesus. That Jesus Christ entered into history to live the life I was supposed to live, to die the death I deserve, to save me from myself, to make me a child of God. And there's nothing I can do to add to that. There's nothing I can do to earn it. That it was His work to do it. It was His work to save us. The point of Psalm 1 and 2 is to understand that Jesus is the king of everything and to live in the wake of it. And I just flipped to Job 42. Let's flip back. 
And here's our problem with psalms like these. This is one cohesive literary unit. Blessed are those who take refuge in Him. How is it that what, what, what our problem here oftentimes with psalms is when we're trying to figure it out, we're trying to figure out our lives, there's really two lenses we can come to this and other wisdom literature. One is a religious lens where we make a grocery list. And I come to this and I make my grocery list and I say, okay, so it seems bad to be in the kingdom of the world and I want to be in the kingdom of God. And so uh, let's make the grocery lists. Starting in verse 1, I want to be blessed. Okay, so who walks not in the counsel of the wicked? Don't do that. So don't walk with wicked people. Nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Okay, so, so can I sit with sinners? I'm not supposed to sit with scoffers, but I can sit with sinners, but I shouldn't stand with sinners. What he's, this is a poem, by the way. He's not saying don't, people, don't know people who don't know Jesus. That's, that's poppycock. Did I say poppycock? <laughs> Balderdash. Um, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is don't live in their kingdom. You are light to them. You are bringing the message of Jesus and reconciliation. Sit with them. Eat with them. But not in their ways. Not in the things they do. Not in the top-down model. Don't learn from the CEOs and apply that to your life. Don't go to Oprah and have her tell you how to live. But you can love Oprah if you happen to be that person and get coffee with Oprah. Power to the people. Um, You know what I mean? You're not to do what she says, but you can love her and know her and tell her the truth about Jesus. So he's not saying that, but we can get do the grocery cart and we keep going. Okay, uh, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on the law he meditates day and night. How, how antithetical to the idea of delighting in the teaching of God is coming to that and saying, okay, keep delighting. He said to delight. Okay, uh, Leviticus chapter 17, uh, delight, delight, delight. De- you can't force delight. When I eat an ice cream cone on Fur Island whatever the thing that it's giant and it's $4 and you eat it, it's out in Skagit Valley, go there, it's awesome with your kids or whatever. No one has to tell me to delight in the ice cream cone. I just do. It's good and I praise Jesus for it. But we try and will it. Okay, so I got to delight. Uh, okay, uh, be like a tree. Oh, jeez, how am I going to do that? <laughs> I can keep going, but it's ridiculous. So we have this, what we'll call the religious lens and the gospel lens. The religious lens is I go to the wisdom literature and I try to make a grocery list. Okay, so I've got to be like this. Um, uh, okay, uh, Proverbs 3, 5. Uh, Trust the Lord with all your heart. And you're like, you realize that it's, it, becomes, it becomes absurd because it's not really about just doing. It's about this relationship we have with God. Now there's this gospel lens. This is the other lens that we can do. And this is how we've got to begin to see the whole of the Psalms. How is it that we take refuge? How is it that we're actually blessed? Blessed are all who take refuge in him, back in 12. Verse 12, this is the answer for how to live, verse 1. Blessed. You see the inclusio, blessed and blessed? Inclusio. That means something at the top. Sorry, I should have said it that way. There's something at the top, there's something at the bottom, and it puts the two things together. Okay? Blessed. Blessed. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. In who? In the anointed, in the Messiah. Well, how do I do that? How is it that I can be blessed? It's the second lens. It's not that I try and white-knuckle and muscle Psalm 1 in my life. It's I take refuge in the one who's the perfect Psalm 1 man, Jesus Christ. Think about how, how well this describes Jesus. Not on my best day as a Christian when I'm trying really hard. 
there's a joke in there. Um, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the seat of scoffers, nor sits in the seat of, pardon me, way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Jesus walked with people who needed him desperately, who were living in opposition to God, but was not affected by them, uh, was not influenced by them, but rather he influenced them. He's like a tree planted of streams of water. Uh, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. is on the teaching. He is, in the, he is the very embodiment of God's teaching. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You don't get much more Psalm 2 than actually being God's teaching incarnate. We take our rest in the perfect Psalm 1. Man, Messiah, Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We take refuge and rest in the reality that he is the king. How do we take refuge? Not by making a grocery list, but by crying out. I don't come to him with with all the things I've picked up. Look, Jesus, how well I've done Proverbs. I come to him saying, every time I look at this, I don't know what to do. Show me, please. Help me, please. Just like delighting in the law of the Lord, we worship Him. It's not me flexing, it's me seeing the King in His beauty, tasting and seeing His good, tasting and seeing what He's done in the world for the foundations of the earth. He made a plan, plan A, to redeem a people who've lived our whole life in opposition to His love. The whole point of our life, to love God and to love others. I've not perfectly loved God or love others. He did. I take refuge in Him. How can I love God and love others? The empowering work of the Holy Spirit. His life in my place. His cross to make me right with God. It's the thing that the inside out kingdom that changes me from the inside out. Not that I can be like, okay, today I've got to love God and love others. And we lose ourselves in the worship of the King and His beauty. Yesterday, last night, it's like 9.30 at night, and I'm going downstairs to get my sermon ready to my office. Um, and my wife was listening to some Jesus music on the computer, because it's 2013. That wouldn't have made any sense to anybody in 1975. But she's listening to music on the computer. Did you ever catch yourself saying phrases like that that wouldn't have even made sense to you in middle school? She's listening to music on the computer, and, and, I, and I just kind of remembered a time when I even just felt like I had the song that she was listening to just stuck in my head. You ever get that? Where you just you have out of your own, not in your own strength, but, but just in God's grace, you, get, you almost get like a Jesus song stuck in your head for days on end, and you just find yourself singing to Him as you're going about your day. And what I realized there was in that moment, just a few weeks ago, uh, my prayer life was richer, my Bible reading was richer, I sang songs to Jesus more than I was at the moment. And the first thing I thought was, man, i got to get on track. This is me, 10.30 at night, right? i gotta, I got to get back to that. And I just felt God's grace and mercy in the power of this psalm kind of him just be kind to me. I don't know how to say it another way. I felt him being kind to me last night and reminding me that this isn't about you getting on track, my child, my son. It's about you getting lost in me. I don't want you to, to live in some revival or some repeat of three weeks ago. I want you now. Come on in. Don't, don't try and mimic yourself three weeks ago. Come take refuge in the Son, Jesus, now. It's not us trying to figure out how to be Psalm 
one people. It's us embracing the Psalm 1 King. And when we embrace the Psalm 1 King, He transforms us, and we look more like Psalm 1. We, we, we're living in relationship with Him, and we're blessed. That's the blessing. Our problem often is that we try and be the kings of our own life. We try and be the king of our own spiritual walk. We try and be king of uh, king of the castle. We try and be king. We try and if you've tried to control anyone this week, if you've tried to exert, if you've just gotten yourself caught, if you find yourself caught in like the feedback loop, there's three things you can't do anything about right now, and you're just kind of caught in the, the feedback loop, loop of those three or four things. You just keep talking about them, and, and the ball's not moving up the court at all. And there's something in us that's just trying to like almost like. Uh, it's hard to describe, but there's almost something in us that gets caught in that cul-de-sac. We're almost trying to like will it. We're trying to force it in our minds to happen rather than saying, man, I need to take this one to the king. Do you know what I mean by that? When we're caught in that feedback loop, we're anxious about tomorrow. It does not help us love Jesus more, trust Jesus more, but somehow we feel like we've kind of got our hand around the, the problem a little better rather than taking refuge in the one who can save us from it. We live in rebellion. We live in anxiety. We just don't know what's coming tomorrow. I don't know what's coming tomorrow, neither do you. I know who's coming to put everything back. I know who's the king tomorrow. And I know why he's the king. It's because he's the Psalm 1 man. He's he who, Philippians 2, set aside his divine rights. Accounted equality with God, not a thing to be grasped but took on the form of a servant. This is Jesus. If you don't know him, this is what you need to know about who God is and what he has done in Jesus. That Jesus set aside his divine rights and entered into human history, came here, was hungry, was tired, his family ditched him, his friends ditched him, he got stabbed in the back, and he loved, and he served, and he showed grace, and he forgave sin, and he preached, turn from the kingdom of the world to the kingdom of God. And he died on the cross, and he bled to wash us clean of all of our sins. So that the righteousness that we have, if we live as Psalm 1 people, it's foreign to us, it's his, it's borrowed. Because God looks at your life, if you trust Jesus, and says, yeah, I'm not taking that one, I'm not taking that one, I'm taking his. That's the one I'm taking. And just as he said of Jesus at the baptism, this is my beloved son or daughter whom I'm well pleased because of his cross and his completed work to save us from ourselves. And not just save us from ourselves, but to save us to live as people in relationship with him, to be blessed. Because the single greatest blessing of the gospel is relationship with God in Jesus and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And we did nothing for that. That's where it is to be blessed. So as we read Psalms, we have a lens that this thing is about the king. The king who's going to come, the king who's going to save, the king who's going to restore, and at times, just our desperate need for him. Let's pray. King Jesus, help us to see you in your beauty. Help us to taste and see that you're good. Help us to know that you've come 
You've come to save sinners just like us. That there's refuge in Your cross. And that when You save us, when You move, we're forgiven and it's finished and we're Yours. Jesus, help us. God, we love You so much. Praise things in Your name, for Your glory. Jesus Christ, Amen.